Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, hello, hello. Well, would you look at this. After all this time, I am joined by my lord and saviour and new friend, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Funny how these things work out, isn't it? But uh, something, you know, things have moved on since this episode was recorded. Things have happened. Um, Those eagle-eyed who follow me on social media will see that I was uh, with Sophie at a uh, the foodie festival in Brighton and I got to introduce her to the stage. And um, people commented and th- were sort of like, oh my God, wow, you finally met her. Yay, all of that. But how that actually happened, just have to add some context here, was after this interview, Sophie was going to be in Brighton um at the end of that week and said, would you like to come to the festival? And uh, very, you know, Sophie very n- wonderfully uh, sorted some tickets uh, and we went along. And as we were going into the festival, um, a lovely local DJ in Brighton called Patch came up and said hello and said, oh, do you know anyone in drag that would like to introduce Sophie Ellis Bexter? And she was on in like an hour and a half or something. And we were like, well, I don't, I don't know anyone who would be able to get into drag that quickly. I was like, but I'll do it. Um, you know, she's sorted the tickets for us today. And they were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Brilliant. So, yeah, I um, first time actually meeting Sophie. And she had put us some lov- lovely tickets at the food f- uh, foodie festival. And then I got to introduce her to the stage. So that was actually the first time we would met. And it was all a product of doing this um, podcast, which was, yeah. Funny how things work out, isn't it? But yeah, this is a lovely, joyous episode, and I think you can you can tell in my voice how happy I am to be to be talking uh, to one of my absolute faves. Um, love her dearly, and, and and really appreciate that she uh, took the time to do this. Because um, I'm sure lots of people are asking to interview her, 
and suddenly, you know, sort of light stalking for a couple of years, and this is where we end up. <laughs> anyway, before the episode, few things. Um, of course, uh, if you are unaware, uh, you can get the episodes on Sunday slash Mondays early and ad free on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Mr. Joe Black. That's M I S T E R, not just M R, Mr. Joe Black. Um, Twitch is going fun and well. I've been made an affiliate, which is very nice, which I believe means that you can now harass me with sounds. Uh, so if you would like to play Ramstein over me doing something, <laughs> then that is, uh, I believe, now an option. Uh, have a look on twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Joe Black for that. Um, what else am I doing? Brighton Fringe, May 31st. This is 2023 we are currently in. So if you're listening to this in the future, we can only assume it went well. Uh, May 31st at the Spiegel Tent. And then Klein's Cabaret at Comedia, July 6th. Uh, and further on into the year, dates to be announced. Um, and possibly also into 2024. Um, if you are listening that year. Or maybe it's 2026. I don't know. I don't know how. Maybe Maybe the world's gone by this point. Maybe it's blown up. Who knows? But you could be listening in 2028. We could all be robots. And I'm still chugging along and doing Klein's Cabaret at Comedia in Brighton. So, who knows? This might age well. This might not. Anyway, I'm going to stop my babbling on. And I'm going to hand you over to the lovely chat I have had with the glorious Sophie Ellis Baxter. morning, Sophie Ellis Baxter. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> oh, absolute pleasure to have you here. And then for listeners, maybe, uh, I believe they call it a gag, don't they? There are people will be shocked. They will be beside <laughs> themselves that this has happened. But just to give um, context to for people who might not be familiar of why this is such a moment, is I have, over the past few years, been planting seeds that one day... <laughs> We will talk. And it all began. I don't remember if they used the exact bit, but when they did the Meet the Queens thing for Drag Race UK season two, they said, why have you done this? And I said, so I can be friends with Sophia Ellis Baxter. <laughs> and then I've said it in every <laughs> single interview since. Wow. That, you know, it's just because, I mean, there, there there is a boring business related answer, but I just thought that was always much nicer to just consistently say that. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you would... Um, uh, seen the Meet the Queen thing, all the sort of announcement promo of it, but there's a bit when I'm trying to explain why I'm different from other people, and I say I'm more glorious Swanson than Sophie Ellis Baxter. <laughs> um, so I just just kept dropping those seeds in, and then the the big plot twist here is that obviously we're talking right now, and our first actual proper communication was via WhatsApp, uh, which is a bit of a you know usually there's like a lead in to exchanging phone numbers. And uh, dear listener, what happened here was that uh, darling Sophie met my friend Joanna, also known as Cherry Shakewell, at a party. And uh, Cherry, uh, I'm assuming after a couple of glasses of wine on both your parts, uh, mm -hmm. sort of approached you and said, so my friend Joe, and then said, <laughs> I'd like, like you on here. Um, and then you seemed confused from what I gather is that, well, he keeps tagging me in things saying he's not my friend. Um, and I, because I'd seen bits of, I haven't seen all your seeds you, you've sown I, I think I got kind of like a couple of the seeds so yeah um, but actually uh, Cherry, Joanne I actually spoke, started speaking to her for the moment I, start, I entered the party we just like found each other 
at the same point, you know, like by the getting a drink and stuff. So we started talking then. So by the time she mentioned you, we'd actually been speaking for the best part of, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours or something. Um, but yeah, I think I saw maybe one or two things where you'd said like about being friends. I think one of them I read, I read, Posted yeah, that, something on that was Instagram. that was in a show. It, it was it was a bit. I can't remember the the context. I read these like diary entries, and there's like a just a little kind of passing comment about, and I'm still not friends with Sophia Lesbexter. And then someone <laughs> um recorded it and tagged you in it. Um, yes, which is what, it's one of those things <laughs> where I kept saying it, but I didn't actually uh, think about what happens if you did see it. <laughs> well that's was, fine i think I that's how really... most people put most things into the world you can't second guess these things can you no, you just sort um... of just sort of drop it in and see <laughs> see what happens but uh obviously you won't that's know the this way it part works. is how how cherry gave me your number was she she asked me out for lunch and <clears> seemed really insistent that we should go for lunch and i was like oh i finished my work for the day let's go do it and then she just sort of pulled this little bit of paper out of her purse and just slid it across the table and i opened it and it just had had a number and i looked at her and she just nodded and went Yes. <laughs> I said, is it? And then we had another friend with us who was going, what, what, what? And we're just going, I'm going, is it? She's going, yes. But for a good minute or two of just that, and the friend's going, what are you both talking about? Um, so essentially it's gone from some light light stalking to getting your phone number to, to this moment. To successful stalking. Yeah. And, and my, what, I, what I particularly enjoyed is that when I text you, I was like, right. This is this is an odd way to begin it by going, hello, my friend Joanna gave me your number. Let's talk. And then you said something and it was it was sort of deliciously cutting in a really nice way is that you said, ah, yes, thank you for explaining the, the, the friend thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's normally a few more steps to being a friend, but I'm sure doing a podcast is the first of them. Yeah, you see, that's not cutting. I think that's polite. It's nice. <laughs> I don't get in the a, cutting of it. In a, it's in like... In a, in a, it's, it's like yes, way. we were here. We are here. We are. We're starting at stage one, <laughs> and here we are. This is I how I've made nice. all my friends is podcasts now. <laughs> if that's cutting, I've been inadvertently cutting for years. I, <laughs> I thought that was quite. I thought that was quite charming. <laughs> in a kind of in a kind of camp way, not okay. like not not a devastating way, in a kind of like winky like <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but yeah, all 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 roads. Uh, of the seed dropping and all of that have led to this point and I'm absolutely thrilled uh you're Yay, talking me to me. Too. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's been a long time coming and again uh I wasn't sure how familiar you were were with me uh or how much of a, a kind of if you were a casual drag race viewer or like a die hard fan um Ooh, bits and bobs really I think I probably have seen more of you outside of drag race than in it because I haven't watched, I, I I had a period where I got really, I consumed loads of it. Lockdown. But then, um, actually before lockdown, oh. before lockdown, quite a long time <laughs> ago. And I know roughly, it was actually very good timing because I then, I'd watched, I think I went, I've got a friend of mine, he was like, ah, oh, now you've discovered it, go back. So I watched like the US, like season four, season five, season six. I think actually, you know what it was? I think it's when I did um I did a couple of gigs in Australia with Alyssa Edwards and I um I I think that's it was from seeing Alyssa. Have I got their surname right? Alyssa Edwards, Alyssa? yeah. Yeah, it is Edwards. When I said it out loud, I was like, is that right? <laughs> and I was watching from the side of stage when Alyssa was performing and I was completely captivated. So that's when I my friend said, Oh my god, yeah, go back to that series. 
and it was really good timing because not that long after that I got asked to do a talk at my old school and I was thinking what do I talk to all these teenage girls about I went to an all-girls school for my secondary so it's a sea of teenage girls but um as I'm sure you know the drag race resonates hugely with teenagers oh yeah yeah and, <laughs> and so yes exactly so I basically quoted a bit of RuPaul and and they they all went I was like um they kind of went hell yeah like, can I get an amen like the whole crowd and I was like <laughs> okay cool now I've got like a reference point and um and it was actually really brilliant because it was like a really good bonding thing so yeah I think that was my massively sort of like intense RuPaul bit and I was obsessed but then since then it's just quite hard for me to watch loads and loads of anything I have to really work hard <laughs> to binge watch things but I've kept up to date. I know what's going on, of course. You just, you just follow on Twitter. You follow the hashtag. Yeah, and also it's just part of everyday culture and it's such a big platform, isn't it? So I think you, you know, my paths cross a lot with participants and, you know, I just, it's just part of the same world I inhabit quite often as well, like same, <laughs> play the same bills together, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't mm. swing a cat at Pride without hitting one of us, so. <laughs> exactly. You've, you've exactly. done a fair few of those. Um, so that that was, okay, so uh, also I'm very curious, you said you knew me outside of Drag Race. You haven't seen mm. me before, have you? I haven't seen you, but I'm sort of aware of things you get up to and I think, I think, you know, I've, I've just I've just been aware of you in a nice oh, way. This, yeah. this, this, see, this is one of the ones that takes me back because Lemony, when I interviewed Lemony Snicket, he said a similar thing uh, where it kind of made it aware, he was aware of me and I was like, what? What? <laughs> he said something like, I haven't seen you with this hair before. Um, and I was like, why, why does Lemony Snicket know what my hair look, looks like? And then I bumped <laughs> into, I met Mark Gators for the first time the other week and he said, oh, how's Aaron? Who's my boyfriend, which I don't, really like it's not like a big people like who know who know who know but uh i was just like what what, what? yeah and i, <laughs> I, I try not to delve too much because it's all quite mundane because it'll be like oh i this one thing anyway <laughs> eight minutes we've been going and i've just been talking about we've been just rambling right now we spoke That's about how you may know me and i'm gonna talk about how i may uh know you um, say may know you. I was aware of you for many, many, many years, but what, uh, and I love the music, what made me deeply, deeply fall in love was the Wonderlust album. Oh, really? Um, oh, that's lovely. It's because it's got a, it's, I think ultimately pop and sort of dance stuff isn't my sort of go-to genre generally, but there's obviously a kind of fairy tale folk element to uh that album which made me mm. kind of you know it's one of those things you know i'd heard the other albums heartbreak make me a dancer was one of my, and that was actually they ask you ahead of drag race pick five lip sync songs that you would love and that was one of mine was really that's written near where you are as well i wrote that in brighton oh did you yeah yeah it's yeah with a guy called song. biff biff who lives like his place is very near the sea so i always think of brighton and also freemasons um who did the track? So James lives in Brighton as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very Brighton song. All roads <laughs> lead back to Brighton. Exactly. Um, but you were around that time. I would. I think I had not long moved to Brighton. Then I got asked to do a festival in. I'm from Portsmouth originally, mm -hmm. and I got asked to do Victoria's Festival. Oh yes. As a as a DJ set, and uh, DJ sets were not things I did very often. But I had a little look on the lineup, and I saw you were there. And I agreed to do it purely on the basis that I do not clash with you. 
Um, <laughs> so I did it. I was I was paid for it, but also the other part of the payment was to see you. And one of the there was a really lovely moment that's kind of embedded in my mind, and I don't know if you clocked it at the time. But obviously, the festival is called Victorious, mm-hmm. and you started the show with Birth of an Empire, which mm-hmm. has the line. I think it's, we are victorious. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there, there was a kind of weird ooh, moment as you were <laughs> thousands of people. And yeah. you grandly uh, presented the word victorious. And I thought that was ever so lovely. But going back to the sort of folk and fairy tale thing, was that a, a kind of conscious decision? What What made that style happen? Yeah, very, very conscious. Because um, so basically the first four albums that I did solo were all, um, I suppose, primarily dancey pop records. And I am a bit of a pop kid. Um, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, I know my pop and I know my lyrics. <laughs> um, it's funny what, what stays in your brain cells, isn't it? And so when I was making those records, I really embraced uh, dance and little bits of disco and pop because that's, that's the things I love. But it's funny when you're writing dance music, and actually Heartbreak's a really good example of that, is that dance music really works very well when you deal with emotions that are very much in the here and now, things that are very heady. So desire, frustration, love, euphoria, you know, heartbreak, all those things, they work so well with dance music because it's so immediate. It's like a very sort of, um, like, you know, your, your whole of your brain is taken over that feeling. But in terms of songwriting, I felt like it would be so nice to also have the space to write in a completely different way, write about stories and write about things that are a bit more reflective. So I'd made my fourth album, which had Heartbreak on it, and it was very dancey. I worked with people like Calvin Harris and Armin Van Buren. And after that, I left Universal and I thought, well, I kind of want to do something really, really different. I've got a singer-songwriter friend called Ed Harcourt, who's very talented and we had a day where we just thought, let's just write a song, not maybe for anything. And the song that we wrote is called Love is a Camera. And it was a good starting point because um, it's like one thing I'd never been able to do is write in any other time signature. Everything I've done in dance music is four on the floor. So doing a waltz song in, you know, three, four timing was a great like, whoa, I would never normally be able to do things like that. And from that, we just sort of jumped in really. So that song is about, it's like a fairy tale, really. It was kind of loosely based on. Do you know a witch called Baba Yaga? Baba How well Yaga, do you know yes, your witch? who has the the, uh, the house with the chicken legs? Exactly. How well do you know your witches? Yes. Oh, so yeah, very we, well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, they're, they're, I found that a really rich area for inspiration, and that that's a story that's from Eastern Europe. So I think in Russia and the Ukraine they would have had Baba Yaga growing up, and so from that we were like, why don't we do this album that's all kind of got that sort of landscape the sort of eastern european folkloric i don't know i could just really see it in my head and that album just sort of fell out of us really when we were writing it was just like there's another song and another song and it was just really lovely to write within a a place a landscape that was so different to everything i'd done before and also wonderlust is very close to my heart because it was my first independent album so i made it completely on my own dime and without any sort of committee, really. So it was my first independent release. And I just really, I, don't get me wrong, I loved being with Universal. I had such a good decade with them. But I felt like Wanderlust was like my like graduation present. It was like, okay, now I've done that. I can actually, I can really indulge doing something totally different. And I had no idea how it would do commercially, but I thought, I just know I need to, need to do this for me, I need to do something other. 
it was really fun. I, I it was like a really, what's the word? I have a very like um, happy association with it. And also that whole time, every gig I did supporting that record was very precious. Cause you never know what's gonna happen next, especially if you're in pop, it's such a transient place. You, you never got, you can never rest on your laurels, you know? So the fact that I got booked to do Victorious is a big deal. It's always lovely to get booked. Yeah, I, was, I remember, I think it was the intro for Love as a Camera that someone brought out a, a, a hoop and you did a quick change. Yeah, um, I used to do a quick change on stage inside <laughs> the hoop. It was, I don't know if I've misremembered, <laughs> but the, um, I thought you said whiskey. Um, mm, not whiskey. That would have helped. Uh, just like attached to the inside of the curtain. It was kind of a alpine sort of look. I don't know if I remember that, all, all sort of like yeah, yeah. Old kind of dull Germanic. A little bit Bavarian. Yeah, I yeah, had like a sort of... A sort of, uh, I think they're called dirndl dresses. So there's like sort of milkmaid yeah. type things and then embroidery on it. But then, yeah, that's because <laughs> when I'd done this obviously quite folky record, you're like, well, how do you marry that with the dance and the disco? And I thought you just do it as two halves, basically. So mm -hmm. even on a short set, we'd have the folky beginning, then the quick change, and then you're into disco party season. And then that's the way to do it, really. That's and it gave me a lot more, con yeah, and it gave me a lot of confidence actually that. There's no real rules. You can have a waltz and then have a, a banger. You don't have to. Who cares? Like just you, ab you absolutely as long as you take, can. Yeah, and so as long as you take people by the hand, they they're gonna stay with you if you set it up properly. But I think when I was younger, I used to think it was a lot more rigid in terms of like the rules mm. of how you do things. So it's been good for me to experiment with doing other things and see what well, happens. I, I guess that's the because you were mostly with major labels from the mm. very beginning right so I, I, yeah. I guess that kind of you'd be uh sort of taught that intrinsically it has to be a certain way because that's what they do um, yeah but that's true and I think also just the landscape of how people create has changed a lot like we're mm. much more open to the idea of people sort of things being cross-pollinated and genres shifting mm. I don't think it's not, when I was young it was very much like you liked the music you liked or you made the music you make and you don't really venture to the other islands but i think it's got a lot more open now what i sort of what was nice there is you were saying that obviously it was your your first one independently and i'm mm -hmm. always really curious with artists and it's i again i i mean I'd, I'd read the book but this was you know when it first came out so some of the information would have gone through my brain like a sieve uh it being your first independent one and i'm always really fascinated with that change when an artist does a very particular thing and then they're kind of left up left to their own devices mm. and and often without even knowing those albums will usually be my favorite of that artist oh, really <laughs> uh, and and it's just i mean that's i mean obviously record labels need to work however they need to work but there there's something so powerful when the artist just you know go on do what you want and especially if it's on your own money you can do exactly what you want but uh le leaving the kind of creative process up to the artist and just trusting that and and assuming it will you know things will be they're going to make what they want to make and they people love them for them so i mean that's obviously not how it always works is it someone can make a passion project and it can do terribly um mm. but i always think of sort of uh jack white is a example that always comes to my head for mm -hmm. someone that sort of took control of their own career and yay solo ones maybe some have been much more commercially sex, uh, successful than others but uh that kind of creativity where he's just doing what he wants as a listener is really um if you trust in the artist it can be the, the best work of all 
Yeah, I think that's true. And I would say it's not necessarily like the stuff I did before, like when I was with a major label, that was still the stuff I really loved. That was where mm -hmm. my heart was at at the time as well. I think it's just a bit of like growing up, really. And sometimes it's quite good to pull out. I always think of it like pulling the tablecloth out from underneath you, you know? It's like you just have to sort of pull the rug out sometimes. Um, and I think, I think for artists, there comes a, a really exciting point where you feel like you have the confidence to do something a bit left of center because actually you've kind of put in so much work with all the other stuff already. So with Wonderlust, if it had completely been this very quiet thing that no one really knew I did, I was kind of at peace with that. I was mm -hmm. like, well, I, I felt like this is still where my foot has to fall next. And, and since then, <laughs> The, the two studio albums I've made since then have continued on that process of just like, I'm going to just go with my gut a little bit here. And I still love making dance music and pop music. I don't think I'll ever quite put that toy down, but I really enjoy doing the other stuff as well. So you I just feel both. quite lucky. I do. Yeah. I feel lucky that I can explore both things because it makes my, my sort of the creative part of me feel a lot more calibrated that I can kind of have both things. Yeah. yeah, and also I guess with the with the live sets, like you said, with the quick change and then go into disco. <laughs> the, yeah. the 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 live shows, because you've got such a huge back catalogue and so many hits, it's shows must be very nice because, you know, people are even if they maybe only knew six huge songs, uh they're they're gonna get all of those hits as well as all of those nice things, the the other bits as well yeah. you know they'll they'll, they'll get fine. the big disco they they'll songs. get the waltz <laughs> you what i said even if they only know two songs i mean when i when people are watching me live I, I i sort of operate in my head as if they won't know anything because i feel like mm. that's the fairest way especially festivals i mean obviously if they come to my gig i hope they might know one or two but <laughs> if it's a like a, a yeah if it's like a festival gig i'm like okay let's start from from square one let's see if i can get you to trust me that i'll try and entertain you for the next little while but um I find that quite exciting, actually. I quite like, I think festival gigs are really, really, probably one of my favourites because you've kind of got a little element of like, mm, let me see if I can woo you. It's quite healthy. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it, it, when you're doing your own gig, you're sort of working with the expectations of people that are coming because they know exactly who you are. A festival gig, I guess like a support slot in a way is that you're just yeah. sort of oh allowed, God, yeah. allowed to, the expectations are different where you're allowed to just do a good, just do a good show, basically. Mm. I mean, I, I like support slots for that because there's not necessarily the pressure of people who have bought tickets oh, to yeah. see me and that I must hit a certain thing. I'm just sort of left to go, right, I'll just go do a good job. Yes, exactly. I think support shots can be the, slots can be the making of you, actually, because you've kind of got to... There's nothing more like sharpening for the senses, really, than walking in front of a crowd who are waiting for someone else. <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of credit it with really helping me, actually. I've done loads of support slots and I hope to continue to do them forever because I think they're really, they're really good for me. <laughs> it's oh, good to have the challenge. They're a, they're a, a, a training, a training ground, but mm. also a good playing ground. Like I've, I've done so many, I've done ones that have worked. I've done ones that have not worked. Uh, for, for a long time, I got sort of lumped with kind of 80s comeback people was a, was a thing. Uh, mm -hmm. When to Toya Wilcox, um, there's one David J from Bauhaus, uh, sort yeah. of kind of alternative-y, gothy ones where yeah, yeah. They, they were doing a smaller venues than they're doing now because these people are, again, 
doing these huge venues. But this was sort of like Islington Academy size sort yep. of stuff. So, you know, okay, they've gone good. back to doing Brixton Academy, you know. <laughs> but um, you so with the sports lot thing, so you were on tour with Steps mm-hmm. last year. How was that? That was actually really good fun. Um, yeah, so this was the year before, was it lot? No, it was a year before last now. So uh, 2021, I was doing that, the Christmas sort of run up. And um, it was quite, um, first I was a bit intimidated because basically I was booked to go on literally on my own. So uh, it wasn't with my band. So, And at this point, this is where the video conferencing software froze. Uh, it does come back. And all is fine. But I'm going to put in a clip now of the moment that I realised that it had gone wrong. Uh, If you want to hear what true terror sounds like in my voice, that I've got to the moment when I'm interviewing Sophie Ellis-Bexter and seemingly technology gives up on me. Uh, But yes, we'll have there'll be a little break now and then we're back into the interview and all goes well from here on out. Anyway, here is a clip of pure terror in my voice. Sophie Frozen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh, you froze there. Yeah, so did you. I was like, wow, he's really listening in a very (laughs) intense fashion. Ah. Um, Sorry, I I can cut that out. So, uh, yeah, I can answer again if you like. (laughs) Yeah, so. (laughs) <laughs> just depending on the edit here, audience, there might have been a sudden cut here <laughs> where everything, uh, steps, steps, you were intimidated yes. because you were booked uh, as a solo. You just used yes. the band. Exactly. So they had a blackout curtain covering all their stage and all the production. And then I would walk out onto this little tiny stage sort of about a third of the way into the arena. And actually... My husband, Richard, came to see me when I'd done a couple of gigs and he said, oh, it kind of almost looks like some sort of weird art installation. It's kind of like <laughs> quite, it looks quite surreal, almost like you're a sort of projection or something. I just thought, I've just got to embrace this. So, you know, going on stage at somewhere like the O2, um, just completely alone. <laughs> I actually ended up really quite enjoying it. It was so wacky, but also, um, I mean, such a lovely, warm crowd. Um, and I actually had a bit of a ball, really. I, I think... It really was, yeah, again, like quite good for me. Obviously, they've got lovely fans. Playing arenas is always a bit of a thrill. And uh, yeah, it was really good fun. And halfway through it, I also did I did a dance-a-thon, a 24-hour dance-a-thon for charity. But I'd already committed to doing the tour before I said I'd do the charity event. So I actually 
did this 24 hour dance and then the next day went to Liverpool and continued on the tour. <laughs> so it was all quite slightly <laughs> delirious, but good fun. I was going to say coming out sort of, uh, how much, wait, how, what, what's the, what was the gap there between finishing the 24 hour dance on and things being on stage with steps? So I finished, let's say on like a Wednesday morning and then the Thursday I was, I went to Liverpool. So oh, I'd, so you had, I'd had like a night. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But the good news was I could walk. I wasn't sure how my legs would be or my muscles and everything, but I put my heels on and I'm like, nah, I'm going to go and do it and jump around. And Could have done a ballad set, just sat on a stool. Yeah, well, my um, my tour manager was like, I wasn't sure how I was going to need to like help you onto the train or off the train and like, do we need you? <laughs> but no, I was I was actually all right. And I, I kind of enjoyed it because I spend, I have young kids, so I spend a lot of my time working on not very much sleep and feeling a bit knackered and normally nobody really says anything but on this instance everybody's like oh well done for still being here and still doing the gig and I'm like great <laughs> <laughs> I milked being, it <laughs> being, a, being a mother of many has trained your, mm. your endurance you know no yeah. no no gig would be too tiring now that's what wow. you know, they got you know, have a choice for our dancing they were like she's got four boys she'll be fine I've got five boys, and yes, I did five, get through it. Five. Yeah, at the last count, yes, there's, there's oh. five. Yeah, so my <laughs> eldest was 19 yesterday, actually. So that was a really lovely. I think I get more excited about his birthdays than he does. It's lovely. <laughs> You're banging on the door, going, "Wake up, wake up!" Exactly. It's morning, like Christmas Day. <laughs> but the I, I've now got the because I didn't um, the step show that was in Brighton with you. I was I was away doing a tour. So I couldn't go, but the image of you at the O2 particularly, just little tiny, yeah, you know, just on that massive, Teeny massive stage, just, it's, <laughs> very uh, strange, yeah, again, <laughs> very surreal. Uh, not, I wouldn't say lonely because there's what? How many people does that fit? Twenty something thousand? More than that, maybe. I don't know what. It, no, I think it's about. I think it's about fifteen. Oh, only I might 15, be wrong. Like actually, my memory for capacity. I'm terrible at judging how many people are in a crowd. Like really bad at it. <laughs> but I think it's about that. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you underplay it? Oh, there was only a hundred people there, and it's actually like four thousand. It's more. I just don't know. I can't. I can't look at a crowd and be like, "This is how many people are here." I, I just am very bad at estimating crowd size. So I always have to ask someone else or just. Google the actual official capacity. You know, Victoria's Festival, actually, that one you mentioned, that's got a crazy capacity, that festival. It's mm -hmm. now 60,000 people. It's one of the biggest UK festivals we have. It's insane. I mean, I haven't been since I saw you there. Oh, it's um, doubled now. Well, that stage I played then, that used to be the main stage, but now they've got another stage as well. It's absolutely huge. I did it again last year. Um, it's a lovely festival, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's my, I mean, that's my hometown. And, yeah, I like uh, it's, got a, it's got a really... Um, I mean, growing up there, it's quite rough, but it's it's always had that really keen kind of music uh, nightlife scene. So mm. I don't know. Every, it, every, there's a lot of things going on, and mm. you you know, I'll I'll meet various artists from in all all over the place, and then quite you know more often not more often than not that's ridiculous, but uh, quite often it'll be like, oh, I grew up in Portsmouth as well, and it seems to be a nice kind of breeding ground of creativity. But then people Definitely. leave. That's the thing. Well. But, uh, I actually spoke to someone, I don't know if you know her, Susie Ruffle. She's um, she's from Portsmouth and is also now a Brighton resident. This um, Susie was the last interview I did. Really? Uh, actually, so she's actually going to be the episode sweet. before you. And I mentioned you in it because we're talking about, and it will have been bleeped in the actual release, but there's a we were talking about kind of growing up somewhere like that and now the experiences we're having. And I say, oh, Sophie Ellis-Bexter just gave me her phone number, which I think is very surreal because I still think of myself as this sort of 
strange little goth teenager from Portsmouth. Um, and yeah, that's, that's funny you bring her up because it was so, so funny. Yeah, I literally just met her on Thursday. She came and did my podcast, actually. Yeah, she's really lovely. Oh, she but I is thought... now a mum, working mum. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> do you because I, I was I try not to listen to too many interviews with people before I do it, but uh, mm-hmm. enough to get a flavour. Um, and you were talking with it was the Richard Herring one that I listened to this morning. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And you and you were talking about kind of because obviously he does that one, you do your one, I do this one, <laughs> and the the reason I started this is because mo- no being nosy is kind of the joke answer, but just that I kind of find people endlessly fascinating, and it was really kind of a passion project and excuse to talk to people that I wanted to talk to because mm-hmm. in no other circumstance could I go hello Sophia Ellis Bexter would you like mm. to sit on a zoom call with me for an hour and just let yes, me but if you record it it's <laughs> yeah exactly you know it's, it's somewhat threatening without the recording um and, and you were you were saying that you know it was very much a passion thing for you because if it's not a passion mm. then you know it's not uh at least for me, podcasts are not a massive money-making experience. So uh, there's got to be some love. Yeah, um, it's a passion there. thing, 100%. Yeah. And how, how have you found doing yours? I adore it. It's like some of my favourite conversations of the last few years have been through the podcast. And um, I'm always blown away, really, that people give me their time. And um, I've spoken to some amazing people. And it's been... Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I, the actual conversations have been fascinating. And I think they've sort of helped me with, um, I don't know, trying to understand how other women make it work, but also with my own, you know, the way I measure my guilt and my my love of my work and my job. Because talking to other parents who have gone through the same thing is is very reassuring. But also, I'm fascinated about how people have found their careers and what, what people do and how their how their lives have gone so I, I like the diversity of people I speak to and then actually on a more sort of um sort of peripheral thing but another thing that's been good for me is that it's made me actually get better at actually approaching people and putting myself out there because most mm. of the people I speak to I've never met I haven't met them before I don't know them and normally I'm quite shy so it means that I've had to kind of go you know, get over the awkwardness of saying, would you like to speak to me, basically? Um, and yeah, so many people have said, yes, I've loved it. I've just, I've just crossed over 100 guests. I recorded, yeah, done my, Susie was my 101st. And um, I love it. I love it. And there's so many more people out there. I will keep going. Yeah, love that. Because people are endlessly fascinating, I find. They are. Because if you give people the room to... Uh tell their story or elaborate on things it's yeah it's endlessly fascinating is that i mean i guess it's that thing of sort of you know uh, with sort of older people and and sort of befriending them um learning lives and stories and sometimes the most unexpected beautiful uh things can come in fact my chat with my Mm. chat with Susie ruffle was one that afterwards uh she was uh phenomenal as a guest and i'm sure you Mm. had the same experience um afterwards i was like wow like I would never have had those conversations and got yeah. those thoughts and feelings if it wasn't if it wasn't for this. And again, like you know, so said about approaching people, uh, that was a hurdle for me with this was that I just kind of there was ways of trying to figure out how do I approach people. <laughs> uh, I mean, lockdown would have been easier where quite a lot of podcasts started, but I waited until it was all done um, to do this. And it's you know, again, what in what other world would I have been able to message Dawn French and go? Hey, we met once. Want to chat? 
yeah no it's perfect it's perfect yeah exactly it's perfect i think it's really good i'm with you on all all fronts yes i feel the same on the uh, on the subject of lockdown i'm sure mm-hmm. you're sick to the fucking back teeth of talking about those kitchen discos but <laughs> do you I... know what i'm not actually i'm actually not because i don't think about it like day to day so it's only really when people bring it up that i remember it and it it was very it was really special to us actually so mm-hmm. no i don't i don't mind talking about it I still find it quite abstract and quite surreal that anyone really saw it. So, oh yeah, it was it, it was such a very weird sort of. It was, I mean, it was that what's it the kind of um, blitz mentality. Let's all get together. Kind of <laughs> I because I, I did some live streams as well, and then I I think because you did Thursdays, Fridays, Fridays, Fridays. thirty. Yeah, can't have I mean, a disco on a Thursday. You got to go for I a weekend could. night. Friday um, night, come on. If if ever I clashed with you for my ones, I was like, right, the nation's watching Sophie, I need to be careful. And then so <laughs> I, mine were always quite late, so I started at sort of between sort of eight and nine. Perfect. Um, which my neighbours must have loved, just like, boom, bam, 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 on accordion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's great. There was, I well, think actually, every, no, everyone was losing their minds. Hmm? Definitely. And also, you can watch them all on, like, catchable. I think, like, some people might watch them live, but I don't really... um. I think I needed to do it for me. I mean, of course, it's yeah. lovely that a community came out of it, but actually, in the, in the moment of doing it, and I'm sure you felt the same, it was just about a release for me and a focus and something I could plan and think about. And the same for Richard. Um, and also for the kids, it was like an indication of like, right, we've reached this day in the week, because otherwise, how would you know what day it was? Mm-hmm. And let's just like get all that stress and tension out and just like jump around and have the disco lights and just just change the punctuation of the day a little bit. Otherwise it was just the same day every day. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you on the the kind of release for me. Because I, I found mm. that it sort of also made me more creative and I tried things and I sort of, sort of rediscovered myself as an artist because, there yeah. was, you know, I just got to sit there in front of a camera and do whatever I wanted to do. Um, yeah, there's a lot of freedom in that. Work, it's all right. People just watched on their computers or their TVs. Yeah, yeah, exactly, it was, it exactly. No uh, pressure. But, yeah, my, I'm my, with you. My main question about it with with you is how sort of coming out the other side of it and back to real life, how did doing that change the trajectory of your career, but like audiences, uh, sort of media appearances, all the, sort of the, all the stuff that comes with kind of a, I don't, I, I don't want to say it was a boost in popularity because obviously you're a very popular woman. Um, but did you? It was kind of nation sweetheart vibes. I thought it's like, oh, is Sophie entertaining the nation? <laughs> did you? Did you see like a a big uptake afterwards or a different kind of interest? Um, I mean, yes. I think the kitchen discos. Um, Basically, when I was doing them at the time, I didn't feel like, oh, of course, my day job is singing and performing. But the place where that came from is actually my my very personal relationship with music and escapism. And so it felt like a very pure exchange in that way. So I was wearing clothes that were like things I'd bought thinking they would never see the light of day, like some of my weird vintage purchases like ebay things um singing songs i would never normally sing so it was like it felt like much more like um you know this is really what i'm like when i'm just prattling around at home mm-hmm. it was like i brought a caricature of that to life which i wasn't really expecting to share with like anyone at any point really um so i think in terms of like 
my inhibitions that was definitely really good for that but also it meant that I felt like we had this community through the kitchen disco that was sort of slightly there was obviously a crossover with people who might know what I was up to before that but it was really like um also like a thing in itself so that was really special and certainly doing the tour of that last year which was always something that well I say always from about halfway through the the lockdown discos Richard and I were like we really should try and do a tour of this one day because then we can see people because obviously people were coming over like as in they were watching on their phones and stuff we didn't see anybody and I thought wouldn't it be glorious if the end result of this is being able to see people see who who is here in our house in real life like that felt like a really magical special thing to be able to do at the end of it so I think that that tour really brought out you know it realized the other side of the relationship that we were having with people and people would dress up to come to the gigs and we're going to do another tour this Christmas and I I really want to make it so that everybody feels that warmth like we're all in something mm -hmm. together so that's really special and then I think yeah in terms of like performing it's probably been the final bit of um I don't know feeling relaxed about performing it completely as me rather than feeling like you've got to put on any sort of persona um I mean all that like rambling chit chat that I was doing during the discos is stuff that I've been doing for ages but maybe I didn't think anyone was really listening which probably is a good thing sometimes because I do waffle on quite a lot but um yeah it just made me feel a lot more like comfortable I suppose and safe and I think as a performer if you can feel that bit safer that's actually a really big deal because it makes yeah. you feel like you can walk onto stage and just, I suppose the sort of critic's voice goes a bit quieter when you feel safer. So I think that's very precious actually. But mainly it's about the dynamic between you and the crowd anyway. So yeah. I felt such affection for everybody that was coming over. So for everybody that tuned in, even if it was only for a couple of minutes, I really felt like they came around here. I really felt like we had a little exchange and that I mean, during lockdown, it just kept making me cry, basically. I just found it really moving. I was like, it's such a special thing. Humans need that connection, don't we? We, we really we need it. It is moving. And something my brain's latching on to there is you saying such a pure exchange. Because mm. um, it, it is, it was, you didn't have to do anything. You know, it was, people were only doing it because they wanted to and I think I think that's so clear to an audience it's like an audience can always tell when you're having fun yeah um, that's true and then they have they have a much nicer time and I think it, it, it's clear and <coughs> excuse me I think I think you're oh you're excused um <laughs> <laughs> the um I think yeah it's clear to audiences and also I think you're a very uh warm likable person and I think that also got them to see more of you again just being yourself and there was something you you said in the Richard Herring podcast actually is that mm -hmm. as you've gotten older the 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 gap between on stage and off stage is getting you know getting smaller and I guess that, mm -hmm. that's what you said there was that sort of a result of the kitchen disco or was that slowly happening anyway I think it was slowly happening anyway um actually I kind of credit one specific performance I did at GAY uh back when I was bringing out my third album as being a really big step in that direction because I think with my first, well, certainly with Groove Jet and then my first albums, I was sort of slightly, I probably had an idea of how I felt I should perform. Um, so there would be elements of how I perform now, but I was probably a lot more self-conscious. I didn't dance around 
I used to worry a lot more about what people thought and I would be a lot more inhibited, I think. And then when I did that one gig, I, walk, I remember being really nervous and um, walking out and just getting this, you know, that, that lovely cheer from the crowd. And I was like, oh my God, I've got nothing to worry about here. I felt like, the, you know, I felt like they had my back. So I was like, I just kind of surprised myself and I performed in a much more, um, yeah, uninhibited, relaxed way. I was dancing about and having lots of fun, but also kind of pushing myself. And afterwards, when I came on stage, like loads of my friends were there and I felt a bit like, oh my God, you know, it was like, it was like sort of like, uh, I don't know, not like stripping or something, but it felt like I'd sort of like done something unexpected in front of lots of people. But nobody really seemed to have seen it that way. It was just more how it felt for me. Yeah. And I think from there on, I was like, okay, well, if I can do that and it feels good and I feel comfortable, then that's that's what I'm going to trust. So that really, really helped, I think. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I've said it before, but I think the experience I've had when I've been performing at, in gay clubs and at Prides and things like that are among the most significant of my career in terms of making me feel that level of, like love and acceptance about the exchange between the two of us it's just mm -hmm. been really really significant for me I don't know maybe everybody feels like that with those crowds but that for me it's been huge no I mean I think uh I mean hopefully this doesn't make you feel awkward but I, I think gay uh gay icon could be applied <laughs> uh, <laughs> um is that I mean you've heard that before surely well I don't know I mean I remember uh Kylie being she received an award something I was at, uh, I think it might have been like the Attitude Awards or something. And she she said, oh, people often ask me about, you know, how I have a big gay following and how I feel about that. And she said, and I don't really want to analyze it. I'm just happy that it's there. And I, I thought that's exactly how I've felt as well with that relationship. So um, I just know it means a lot to me. So I'm always very honored to be part of things like Pride and stuff. It's, I think it's a, a really big deal to be be part of that yeah i think i think the the acronym folk uh you know love you know when they love someone they love someone so i'm glad that you you feel that uh yeah, from the audiences definitely so, right so i'm gonna start i'm gonna ask about uh, it is hannah isn't it not hannah yeah. or anything the, 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 no, no, hannah, hannah yeah <laughs> yeah out hannah. june sec out june second i'm doing the plug-in now out june second <laughs> i've got my ice blue vinyl pre-ordered oh nice um, <laughs> The uh, so what's it, you've got some singles from it right? I've got notes here because I don't want to get anything wrong because some. No, I, I can I help say, you. Anyway. Like sweet is everything. No, everything is sweet. It doesn't matter anyway. Don't worry, it's new. And lost in the sunshine. <laughs> Those are the three singles from it so far. Yeah. So we had breaking the circle was the first single, and lost in the sunshine is the second, and then everything is sweet is like I don't know what they call it now, but it's like a sort of like a thing you can get straight away as like another thing from the album. So yeah. I, there won't be a video for that, but I'm doing one for lost in the sunshine, but. Um, yeah, they kind of like new things just to give you a little sense of what the album's about. And is is I mean, can you say anything about the album? Like, yeah, I can the, tell the you loads. Inspiration, go on, tell me everything. <laughs> I want to know everything. <laughs> so the album, oh, and sonically, it's quite synthy, a little bit proggy in places, quite poppy. I think Ed, my collaborator, described it as kaleidoscopic pop. And I think that's a good way to describe it because it's basically a little bit fantastical. Um, in terms of a, a landscape, 
because you know we spoke about Wanderlust and that was at least in Europe and then we did an album called Familia that was a sort of Latin American-y type place we went to in our heads and this time we've gone to Japan but it wasn't literal Japan it was sort of an idea of Japan because <laughs> I started writing the record just before I did a trip to Tokyo which is the first time I'd ever been there so I kind of had an idea of what the place might be like um, and started that that just became a launch pad for uh, inspiration but there's songs about lots of things I mean there's nothing directly about lockdown because I think the songs about lockdown are just like why would you bother but that being said it definitely informed part of it because I don't think you can experience things and then they not seep into what you're writing at the time no, so yeah, subconsciously exactly so that's why I called it Hannah because that's the Japanese word for blossom so I thought of it like I wanted it to be about the new beginnings that come after a bit of a, a winter. And also during that time, my lovely stepdad died nearly three years ago. So it's got aspects of grief in there too, but not, I wouldn't say very, hopefully it's the side of grief that comes in the positive of when you really love someone. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't know if you can say like, a sort of positive grief but I suppose I just don't think grief necessarily means it's going to be something that's desperate it can be something that actually is still giving you the impetus to live a good life actually and to get yeah, the most out of every day there's that I mean I'm sure it's there's like a a, a succinct saying about it yeah though, exactly about, about how people grieve only because they've loved exactly yeah and it's the continuation of that so that's interwoven in there but um yeah, there's also songs about aliens, so some of it's just completely <laughs> out of oh, my I'm brain. I'm going to ask you about aliens in a second. But I just want to, Tokyo, was Tokyo what you expected, by the way? Because you said you had an idea of what you thought. Yes and no. I think uh, I didn't realise how the aesthetic of Japan, really, just the, the way that the light is and all the colour palette. Um, have you been? No, I've got a... <laughs> I'm going to sound uh, like I've lost my mind. I uh, have a bit of an addiction if I need to wind down of watching people do tours around Japanese theme parks, but they're always done in complete silence. Uh, and oh, the wow. person doesn't speak. And there's like the background music of the theme park and stuff. And it will be like, I try everything at the Super Mario Cafe at Universal Japan. Mm. Um, and it will be 30 minutes of someone just sort of going in on a pizza that's in the shape of a mushroom from mario <laughs> or hello kitty cafes or what was the other one i watched tonight and it was only when it finished i went what am i doing um it Don't was the, We've all got tour our of the studio uh ghibli ghibli yeah uh yeah yep. it was the tour of that yeah, studio so i was ghibli, just watching yeah. someone else look at models basically but it's the one it's with always... super mario my kids would probably watch that <laughs> oh yeah it's and the cafe looks amazing i feel like you, <laughs> you, you, you'd get diabetes from the amount of just sugar um mm. so i mean there was this woman and it, it, it sort of became almost like a bit of a sport for us because we were like cheering at the tv that we didn't realize that it was filmed on different days we thought she was trying everything on the menu on the same sitting um, and so every new meal that came out, we were going, because we were like, this woman has eaten like four main courses. And it would just sort of occasionally pan up to her and she'd be smiling and had like a little, um, 
little like a mushroom headband thing. Oh, um, how cute! It was just, but it is. It's. I, I, I don't want to say thrilling watching on YouTube. It'd be more thrilling being there. But I just, yeah, it became some sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> sport of just me watching this woman eat another like pizza in the shape of Yoshi. <laughs> uh, on the subject of aliens, um, and I. Oh, I, ho- I do hope you find this funny. Uh, obviously, you did The, the Masked Singer. Mm-hmm. And uh, am I correct in saying that you showed your kids watched it and they knew it was you immediately? Oh, no. Well, no, I told them before I did that. When I, oh, I, okay. I came home, I came home from, from singing that day and I said, I put on this voice while I was singing and they still knew it was me. And I sang them a little bit and they were like horrified. Like, why did you sing in that weird <laughs> voice like they just didn't understand my thought process at all I found it really really funny they were like what are you doing (laughs) what what so what this is uh, I do I do hope you don't find this offensive because you did try to hide your voice (laughs) I did Uh, my my friend Alfie uh really really loves uh well loved the mask singer I don't know if he's kept up on the fandom (laughs) um and he sent me a clip of maybe 10 seconds of Uh you and um he said who is this and I watched about five seconds and I just text back Sophie Ellis Baxter. <laughs> well, I don't know how to take it because I was like, I thought I'd done quite a good job of disguising it. And then I was like, does that mean people think I sound like that? Like, it was just like, it was a bit of a... No, it's, in, I it's inflections. I should have definitely just sung as me. It was a complete waste of time trying to do this like funny accent. I should have just sung as me and just be done with it. Because when I, when I was there, they go along with the judges and three out of the four judges said my name and I was like, oh. <laughs> so I just was like, oh, that didn't go very well. But anyway, it was still, you know what, it's a really sweet show and all the people that work on it were really nice. So I actually, I had a fun time. It's, yeah, a, it it's a funny really old fun. thing. Yeah, it's it's very warm. And I think because it's not set up like, it is like, it's more like, um, let's say a game show, but it's very playful. So mm-hmm. nobody's like there like, oh, I really need to, like, get to the final or something. It's kind of very chilled and just, like, everybody having a nice time. But it's also quite weird because I didn't know whoever anyone else was either. Like, you don't oh. talk to anybody. You don't see anybody. If you pass anyone in the hallways, they're dressed as whatever they are. Um, so an element of it's a little bit freaky because you just don't... I had no idea who I was on the show with. And there was one day where we were all there. So there's, like someone dressed as like a grandfather clock and and it was a it's a bit like you're like tripping or something it's like what is <laughs> what has happened to my eyes that, that is not a good time to come up if you dropped something if you just terrified that suit like Ooh. absolutely terrifying but and it, some of the people had loads of people with fans next to them because some of the things are very hot um yeah so and you don't know who anyone is so yeah I, I still I still don't get confused about who I was on the show with because I don't I, I didn't see anyone <laughs> The uh, um, yeah, very, very, very surreal uh mm. show. There was a what was the thought I had there? You did look like Predator. I remember that. Yeah. Um, a little, <laughs> which is quite threatening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, but the um, oh, the thoughts entirely escaped me. I, there was some deep, <laughs> meaningful thing there. But yeah, no, the it was the, oh, that that was it. It was the you know the your voice is that you sing so much in your accent that's what i think it is is that um <laughs> the certain inflections that you have that no matter if you were putting on a voice i guess it's like oh that's sophia aspects are putting on a voice not that it sounds yeah. like you once the voice is on okay okay i understand what you mean 
it's fine but I just think I just like yeah my kids were just like what were you thinking <laughs> <laughs> like you just walked into a room and gone yeah exactly exactly um <laughs> the, 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 I, I've, oh that was it I've been uh guest on it not on the show but like on Twitter and stuff mm-hmm. people thought I was an ice cream and it turned out to be Craig Revel Horwood oh wow um and but one of the things was um they said something like well it can't dance so that's why they thought it was me oh, that's <laughs> like one person put that don't worry people put all sorts of stuff <gasps> no i can't dance that's the thing they're correct but what's funny about that is that it was oh, that it was Rebel actually Hall. a dancer <laughs> yeah um yeah so that's and I, I, the other one that i turned out that people thought was me only a couple of people was uh sue perkins i think oh yeah she was actually really good wasn't she she was a dragon Yes, dragon. Yes, yes. Right, right. That's right. Well remembered. Our time (laughs) is nearly up. Um, you 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 okay for a couple more questions? Sure, sure, sure. Get on with your life. Yeah. Um, (laughs) quick thing. You've seen that viral video of the drag queen singing "Murder on the Dance Floor," haven't you? And getting it horribly wrong. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. I I had to bring that up. Very cute. That's just a little plug for her. So, (laughs) my questions that I always ask everyone is uh two things the first of which what is your favorite thing you've ever done that you are most proud of but be, be creatively artistically you know mainstream well, however you want to interpret that oh blimey my favorite thing i've ever done um proudest well i think i think if it's a career type thing then it's a gig i did at the royal festival hall um when I was doing, I did an album called The Song Diaries, where I basically uh, did a greatest hits album, but everything was orchestral. It's, um, and it's beautiful for those who may aw, not have listened. I have the, I, bought, I bought the vinyl of it. Um, well, it's... I can't take any credit. My the woman, the woman did all the arrangements for me. It's a friend of mine called Amy Langley. She did such a beautiful job. She's really got very good instincts with everything. So I really trusted her. and uh, And it was a lovely thing to revisit songs and sing them in a different way and I, I enjoyed the challenge but I word what project I didn't know what I was undertaking I did like 20 something songs all done like orchestrally it was it was pretty big deal anyway um we got to the point where I was going to take it live and it was like how do I do this and this uh really amazing guy called Ollie who's a promoter basically helped me bring it to life on stage so he said yeah you know I I can help you realize this with an orchestra he said we're going to do this one-off gig at the royal festival hall and from that hopefully we get to tour it and it was a bit intimidating because i didn't even meet the orchestra until the day uh of the show and so i had this 40-piece orchestra i had my band and doing live disco with my band and then all of that 40-piece orchestra on top with the timpani and everything like heartbreak oh my god it sounds like oh yeah it's but not like it's so exciting so that with all the bell bells and whistles but also I was also I was 39 I was six months pregnant with my fifth baby and I just felt really good I felt good in all directions I was like this is me at this point in my life and I feel really happy and it could have been a really scary, daunting gig. And instead, I just absolutely, like, relished it. So I think that's possibly, like, the f- my first favourite gig I've ever done. Because it was a, had a bit of risk in it, but I also felt, like, quite cheeky with it. So it was nice. I felt happy. But, but also, it can... You revisit material that you've done again and again and again. 
Um, and I don't want to say that, you know, you must be sick of singing Murder on the Dance Floor because I'm sure you still love it. But it's these are songs that you've done again and again and it brings new life to them and yeah. um, makes them, you know, something that can be very, Way! suddenly has like a real more beauty and, and delicateness to yeah, it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And intimacy as well, I think. And also as a singer... It was a really lovely exercise in singing in a different way because when you've got a conductor and an orchestra, there's a lot more space and you can be really delicate. And normally I don't get the opportunity to sing in the way that's so careful. And I had to, you know, really work on absolute control and the dynamic. And I really enjoyed it. Plus, it was quite funny because you come out and because the crowd see an orchestra and a conductor and all this, they're like really well behaved and people are like scared to cough. Mm-hmm. And I quite enjoyed that, like being a bit headmistressy. And we'd start with groove jacks. I did a tour of it. I did two tours actually. I loved it very much. And um, and at first, when you start with groove jacks, and everybody's like being really well behaved, and then I could be like, "It's okay if you need to like cough or something." <laughs> but um, I liked I liked all that too. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's what I think is very. But you know, we've as we're coming to the end here, Cherry had mentioned when you'd met at that party, Joanna. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you said something like, why would he want to talk to me? I'm boring. And <laughs> you've all of these wonderful, you know, and then the next question seems a bit kind of odd to ask you because you've done so much. But I always like to ask people what the, not what's coming up next, but is there a dream, an aspiration, like a, what would you most love to do next? And it doesn't even need to be reasonable. It doesn't need to be in the work. <laughs> something that in the back of your head you've gone one day I'd love to do that well I think I mean I like asking people questions like that too because I actually think I find it quite interesting when people have plans when people are like Mm. five-year plans ten-year plans and some people really do think like that or they'll have like you know cosmic wish lists and things like that Mm. I'm really not like that and I think um I'm quite a kind of here and now kind of person and I think for me, it's always been about trying to get the most out of whatever is in front of me at the moment and seeing where the paths lead me. And I quite like the fact I don't know what's coming next, but I think my goal has always been the same. It's probably been the same answer for like 20 years, which is just to keep doing what I really love because I've always pictured it like meters on the plank. I see myself off the edge of like a pirate ship. And, you know, you're walking the plank and then whenever something happens, you get to strap on like another bit more wood. So mm. I'm just hoping to keep on, just keep going before I have to drop into the ocean, really. <laughs> <laughs> before you're forced <laughs> yeah. to drop. Yeah, I'm very happy. I'm going, I'm really enjoying where I'm at. And I hope I have a really good summer of festivals and have a lovely tour. And then question mark, dot, 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 really. Let's see. I think I think that's a really gorgeous uh, answer. I love it. Some, you know, I I like the pragmatic answers. I like that I'm happy where I am now. I like the let's see what happens answers. I think they're all. That's one of the nice things about doing this is that you get all of these different things. Some people might go, I would like to perform with an orchestra, but you've you know, you've done that. Um, yeah, and that, this has been nothing but an absolute joy. Uh, Same Sophie here. Baxter. Oh, so thank, thank you. Thank you very much for chatting. And one last thing. Does mm. this mean we're friends now? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> Come on. Hey, Can't speak for this long and not be pals. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Well, would you look at that. All done. What a glorious time that was. It was so lovely to spend the morning chatting to Sophie. Um, and I hope you loved it too. Uh, please be sure to give us a little little nice review um, and click like and follow and all of those things, whatever podcast platform you're on. Uh, give us the max amount of stars. That would be nice. Say something nice. It all helps uh, drive the podcast and means that I'll, I'll, do, I'll do more. If it does well, I do more. That's why we're here for a two, a series two, because people love the first one and I love doing the first one. And, and that's what matters, isn't it? If you love it, you do it. Uh, yeah, give us a like, follow, all of that stuff. Um, yes, I've already mentioned the others up at the beginning. Brighton Fringe, Klein the Cabaret, and uh, Twitch, Patreon, all that. Um, follow me on social media. Follow Sophie Ellis Baxter on social media. Um, you know, it's your life. You can do what you like with it. Right, my beauties, my beauties, my beauties. Um, I now believe me and Sophie are the best of friends, but, you know, they do say denial is uh, a river in Egypt, don't they? So uh, I'll be seeing you. Goodbye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.